It's the first Sunday of the year. This is always kind of a special time uh, in my mind and, and probably a special time for many of us. Uh, by the way, during this time of year, you know, we just went through the Christmas season and now we're in the new year. And I think most families probably have some traditions that coincide with special times of the year. One of the traditions that, that our family established just several years ago is to kind of take a, a family tour to visit our family that lives in different areas. We don't have family that lives right here in Southeast PA. My family is from Northeast PA. My wife's family is from a variety of places. And so what we've started to do is following Christmas, so in the, the week between Christmas and uh, leading up to New Year's, we kind of do a family tour and we drive from here up to Scranton, where uh, my family lives. So my father and my sisters, they live up there. And so we go and we spend a couple days with them. And then we go from Scranton up to Buffalo, New York, to spend time with Andrea's parents who live up near Buffalo. A beautiful time of year to visit Buffalo, by the way. If you ever get a chance in the middle of winter to visit Buffalo, let me encourage you. It is so lovely. Um, and then we go from Buffalo to Pittsburgh, where my wife's sister lives, and then we finish up this, this tour that we do after Christmas into the New Year's by celebrating the New Year's with uh, my sister-in-law's family and good friends of ours that we have that, that live about five minutes from us, and it's become a somewhat recent tradition. This is the third year that we've done this as a family, and we look forward to it. It's a, it's a nice way to end a year, and it's a nice way to usher in the start of a new year. And when you're starting a new year, I think all of us probably take a moment or two to take some stock about some of the things that we're presently doing. We also think about some of the things that we would like to change. Have some of us done that? You know, whether, whether we keep our resolutions or not, that's a discussion for next week, all right? But for this week, my question is, is this something that we've thought about? And I think most of us probably do, because when you start a new year, you start to think about, all right, what do I want to keep the same and what would I like to change. And actually, leading up to this, during the final weeks of last year, I actually was starting to give a lot of thought to this coming year. And I started wrestling through some changes and some improvements that I wanted to work on, and some things that I felt like the Lord was encouraging me to begin focusing on. And I think I have my list boiled down to five critical areas. And in just a few moments, I'm going to share those with you. By the way, we've been studying the book of Proverbs, and we're going to resume our study of Proverbs next week, but I really wanted to just kind of pause this week to kind of talk about this at the start of a new year. And as I share my list, and as I share, I'm going to share my rationale for making it, because I believe that the things that the Lord's impressed upon my heart align with the teaching of His Word. I'd also like you to be thinking about the things that the Lord would be encouraging you to focus on. And I'll even say this, there may be something from my list that should also be on your list. Uh, and if so, please adopt it as your own, and let's together give glory to Jesus in this coming year. So before we take a look at these things, uh, let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, we're grateful for the start of a new year, and we're grateful for the privilege that it is to be able to think about things in a new way and to think about things from a fresh perspective. And we know, Lord, that at this time of year, you give us a very natural break, a very natural opportunity for us to start thinking about things that might need to be altered or changed or amended. And so, Lord, we pray that we would do so with an eye toward you, that we would be focused on what you desire, that we would be concerned with what concerns you, 
and that you would help us to see from your word what you'd like us to be focused on. So Lord, we commit this time to you, and we thank you for the wisdom that you give to us through your word, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, this morning, I want to focus on five goals that I'm aiming for in this coming year with the hope that as I'm transparent about the things that that I'm personally going to be aiming for, and as I show you some of the reasons why I'm focused on those things, that there might be something here that's also helpful or encouraging to you as well. And the first aim that I'm thinking about for this coming year, and this is really not just an aim for this coming year, but this is something that I'm seeking to make the aim for my life, is the idea of aiming for what matters most. Now, what do I mean about aiming for what matters most? Well, uh, when I was growing up, one of my pastors did a great favor for me. I was 10 years old, and on his last Sunday before his retirement, I asked him if he would sign my Bible. And he looked at me and he thought that was a little bit strange. He said, why do you want me to sign your Bible? You know I didn't write that, right? (laughs) And I said, no, I'd like to have your signature in my Bible. I just wanted something to remember you by. And he thought about it for a second and he signed his signature in my Bible and then he wrote a reference that I'm about to read for us. He wrote Matthew 6, 33. And I remember being very curious about that. I thought, well, Obviously, that verse must be important to him. Why did he encourage me to read Matthew 6.33 by signing that under his signature? Let me read that for us, because as we're talking about this idea of aiming for what matters most, it it boils it down to what that means when you look at that verse. In Matthew 6.33, it says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I'm going to read it again. It says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, when you read through Scripture, you'll find references to the kingdom of God in many places. Multiple places throughout the Scripture, you have this concept of the kingdom of God being spoken of. The kingdom of God is quite different from the kingdoms of man. Think about what... what, um, typifies the kingdoms of man. The kingdoms of man are typically built on the shaky foundations of selfish ambition, unhealthy accumulation, and an attempt to obtain power over other people. That's typically what the kingdoms of man um, tend to focus on. And when you look throughout the course of history, and even when you observe things in present day, you can see that that's an issue that the kingdoms of man tend to face and tend to kind of demonstrate. But the kingdom of God is much different from the kingdoms of man. And the goals of God's kingdom are much different from the goals of merely earthly kingdoms. The kingdom of God can be experienced wherever he rules and reigns. Think about that as a concept. The kingdom of God is experienced wherever he rules and reigns. Now, let me give you two examples of that. The first is this. The Bible teaches us that there is going to come a day, when you read through the prophetic portions of Scripture, Scripture teaches us that there's going to come a day when Jesus Christ will return to this earth, and he's going to physically rule, and he's going to physically reign over earth with benevolence and perfect justice. And that's something that Scripture reveals to us ahead of time so that we can be looking forward to that. So that's certainly an important aspect of the kingdom of God. So when I'm thinking about the kingdom of God, and as Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, part of my mind is thinking about the day when He comes to this earth and He physically rules and reigns on this earth with benevolence and with perfect justice. And as we await that day, 
we're also invited, we're also encouraged to welcome His rule in our hearts and in our lives at present. And very much, Christ is getting at that when He talks about this idea of seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We're basically, we're saying, Lord, I want You to rule and reign in my life right now. Not only am I looking forward to the day when you will physically rule and reign on this earth, but I'm also welcoming you to rule and reign in my life right now, to guide and direct my steps, to rule over my heart, to speak wisdom into my life, to point me in the direction that you want me to go. I want to seek first your kingdom. So if I'm going to aim for what matters most in this coming year, and really if I'm going to aim for what matters most with my life, that means I need to stay focused on the kingdom of God. If you're aiming for what matters most, that means you need to stay focused on the kingdom of God. Not the kingdoms of man and not my own personal kingdom. You know, this is a thing that I, I really wrestle with sometimes, and probably you do as well. Who here likes to make their own decisions? All of us, right? We all like... Now, sometimes it's kind of fun if other people make decisions for you. If you can't decide what to eat and somebody decides... I've got the perfect thing, I'll tell you what it'll be, and you enjoy it, and you think, all right, that's great. Or if somebody just planned out a vacation for you and, and, and said, all right, I'm not going to tell you all the details ahead of time, just go on this vacation, and you're going to enjoy it, it's going to be fun. That maybe sounds fun, but I know that in general, I tend to like to make decisions, and you tend to like to make decisions, and sometimes what we end up doing is it's almost as if we're trying to be the ruler of our own kingdom. Sometimes we start to tread into territory that really we should be submitting over to the Lord's leadership. And if I'm seeking His kingdom, and if I'm seeking His righteousness, I need to put His priorities above my own preferences. Whatever I do in this coming year needs to be intentionally dedicated to honoring Christ. Whatever I do in this coming year needs to be intentionally submitted over to Him. It needs to be intentional about elevating His name in praise and not trying to somehow establish my own rule or my own kingdom. And so when Christ encourages us to seek first His kingdom, He's basically saying, invite His rule, invite His reign in your life at present. You don't have to wait for some future day. We can invite Him to rule and reign and call the shots in our lives at present. So that's the first aim that I've got as a focus for this coming year. So we move into this this coming year. I want to aim for what matters most. I want the righteousness of Christ to be my focus. I want the kingdom of God to be my focus. Second thing that I'm aiming for in this coming year is this. I want to remove some unhealthy clutter. Now, when I use that word, some of you are already thinking about your basement or your garage or your attic or, or maybe, you know, some of the drawers in the kitchen that haven't been given a a once-over in a while. But look at what it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. It actually tells us something about God's personality or God's nature. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, it says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Now, again, it's a short verse, so let me read it again. It says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. He's not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. Now, something that I learned at a very young age about myself, I would say probably by the time I reached third grade, I started to realize this, and that's that I don't enjoy clutter. I don't enjoy it in any form. And believe it or not, and you could, you could, my dad is, is living, you could ask my father, he could confirm this, my sisters could confirm this, that from third grade on, 
My parents did not have to ask me to clean my room. Isn't that kind of a funny thing to admit? <laughs> they really, they didn't. And, uh, and in fact, I, I think, you know, at some point they, they felt like it was the most organized room in our house. My bedroom from third grade on. That's strange, isn't it? Um, I got everything else wrong. <laughs> it was like the one thing I got right. I always had a clean room from that point on. My desk at school, always organized. My locker at school, always organized. I realized about myself that I tend to work better, think better, feel better, and get more accomplished when I'm not surrounded by clutter. So I try to eliminate physical clutter around myself as best as I can. Sometimes you really can't. But as best as I can, I try to eliminate clutter in that respect. So it probably would not surprise you uh, to learn that one of the aspects of God's character that I appreciate most is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, the fact that God is orderly. The fact that that's how God has described himself, that he's revealed himself in this way. The fact that he's orderly. He is not a God of disorder, but Scripture says he is a God of peace. There is order to his creation. One of the things that really testifies to the fact that he exists, when you look at this creation, what do you notice? You notice that there is order to the creation. Even when you look at how cells operate and how cells divide and do the things that they need to do, the fact that one side of your body mirrors the other side of your body, you can see that God is a God of order. And there is evidence of that in the orderliness of His creation. He's also operating according to a perfect plan. When you read throughout Scripture, it's filled with prophecy. Well, why is it filled with prophecy? Because God's revealing to us what he's going to do. And what he's doing is this. He created humanity and he created this earth and all of his creation. He created it perfect, orderly, just right. And then mankind rebelled against him and invited sin and disorder into creation. And so what's God doing all throughout the course of human history? He's bringing us back to order. The Father sent the Son to this earth to right our wrongs, to bring order where we invited chaos, to bring order and peace where we invited division and disorder. Christ accomplishes that because God is a God of order, and He's steering things in the direction of order and peace that He's facilitating through His Son, Jesus Christ. But now think about your life in relation to these truths. Isn't it easy for, for your life and for my life to become easily cluttered in a variety of ways? And I'm not just talking about physical clutter that can sometimes consume your office or consume your car or, or something like that. Sometimes there are areas of our lives that become cluttered in ways that are more consequential than a room that needs a good purging. I think sometimes our lives become cluttered with things like obligations that it's actually time to hand off to somebody else. Do you ever agree to something in one season of life and then you realize that you're in a very different season of life but you've still maintained that old obligation and you have this feeling like, can I ever hand this off to somebody else? Maybe I just do this the rest of my life. Sometimes I've done that where I volunteered for different things or served on different boards or served in different capacities. And I think to myself, you know, I take on an obligation in one season and then I'll I'll be a decade later and and, and it's not even really appropriate for me to still maintain that obligation. But I have this this sense of of duty or, or something that prevents me at times from clearing some of those things out and handing them off to somebody else, even though some of those roles and responsibilities would be better served 
by other people. So one of the things I've been wrestling with is what sort of things in that category, some old obligations that it's actually time that I either train up somebody to do or hand off to somebody else, what are things in that category that it might be time for me to consider handing off? Has it, has it you know, at one point become an area of service that's now turned into an area of some sort of emotional clutter? Or how about this? Affiliations that it's really just time to end. Do you ever just become affiliated with a variety of things that you think to yourself, ah, I think it's probably time to end that affiliation? Or maybe even relationships that need to be altered or amended or maybe even terminated. You know, there are times throughout the course of my life that I've had to look at certain relationships and say to myself, I'm not really certain that that relationship should look the same in this next season as it did in the previous season. But can you identify anything that's entered your life that really doesn't belong there any longer. Anything that, you know, at one point it seemed to make sense, but now it's kind of become maybe an area of unhealthy clutter. And what tends to prevent us from removing those things from our lives? I actually think that there's one primary thing that, that, that tends to get in the way of us being able to remove some unhealthy clutter. It's usually the opinions of other people that we care about. There are opinions at times that, that, you know, there'll be something you'll try to remove, but you think, oh, you know, I can't remove this because if I do that, this person will be upset with me, or this person won't like that decision. I had an awkward situation uh, enough years ago that I think it's safe for me to tell this story on something that's being recorded and live streamed, but if I'm wrong, I'm sure I'll find out. But years ago, um, a member of my extended family passed away. And this member of my extended family had written out where she would like some of the things that she owned to go. And that was a thoughtful thing to do. She's trying to think, all right, you know, I'd like some of these possessions to go to this person and this person. And she put together a very thoughtful list. But there are a few larger items on that list that were written out to go to me. And I realized when I found out about it, I didn't know about these things ahead of time. I realized these are things that are now coming to me that I have no use for. One was a large piece of furniture. The other was um, dishes and, and things of that nature. And I thought to myself, I don't, I don't have specific use for these things. And I was thinking to myself, well, you know, what should I do? Because you feel a sense of obligation. You know, this is these were things that belonged to someone that you love, and so you're thinking, all right, what, what should I do with this? But then I found out that there were two other members of our family that really wanted each of those things. And I thought to myself, well, here's a simple solution. I give the one thing to the one person that really wants it, and I give the other thing to the other person that really wants it, and then we all feel good. You would assume we would all feel good in that moment, right? But not everybody felt good about that decision. I felt great about that decision. <laughs> Um, And that's exactly what I did. Um, But I realized after making that decision that not everybody thought that I should do that. They thought that I should take those things, even though I didn't have use for them, that I should take those things because somebody that I loved wrote those things down. But I have to tell you, my love for this person does not have a... There's no correlation uh, between my love for this member of my family and anything that they ever owned. Those are two separate categories in my mind. And because I felt good about blessing somebody that had an actual need with these things that I didn't personally need, 
I thought, if I take this, it becomes unhealthy clutter that I'm taking just to avoid upsetting somebody else's opinion over a minor issue. Or I can use these and have the feeling of generosity of blessing somebody who actually needs them. And I couldn't help but think that that relative, if they knew that whole thing, they were trying to put together a puzzle back in the day. If I had the opportunity to have that conversation, knowing that relative as well as I did, if I said, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we give the furniture to this person of the family and the dishes to this person? I'm certain that they would have been like, that's a great idea. But not everybody thinks that way in the moment because sometimes our emotions get in the way of us being able to think so clearly. And since God is not a God of disorder, but God is a God of peace, I think at times we need to adopt that pattern and practice into our day-to-day life and say, all right, Lord, is there some unhealthy clutter that I've invited in that actually gets in the way of my ability to listen to you because I'm evaluating the opinions of others in such a way that I'm putting them over what you're actually imploring my heart to do? A third thing that I'm aiming for this, this coming year, and I hope that this will encourage and, and be helpful to you as well, is the idea of filtering my influences. Now, those of you that are younger than me, so I'm looking around this room, and I see plenty of you that are younger than me, and I see plenty of you that I think are the same exact age as me, and I see some of you that are older than me. I think this concept applies to you whether you're younger, the same age, or older. I think it applies to all of us that we should filter our influences. Let me give you two examples from Scripture that speak to this direct issue and why I'm going to try my hardest to make this a personal aim in my own life in this coming year. The first is the first verse from the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is the longest book of the Bible. And the first verse in the book of Psalms says this. It's Psalm 1-1, and it says, "'Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners,' nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So think about that verse for just a moment. And I want to read another verse that's a bit similar. And it's from Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27. And in Proverbs 6, 27, it makes this statement. It says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? So think about those two concepts in relation to your influences. So let me go back to the book of Psalms. I love how the book of Psalms begins. In the opening verse that we just read, you have David writing these things down as the Holy Spirit inspired him to do so, and he speaks of the life of a blessed man. And he tells us that a blessed man doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, and that that blessed man doesn't stand in the way of sinners or or sit in the seat of scoffers. That's how he phrases it here. And did you notice the progression that he's describing in that verse? There's a progression that's taking place. And it's actually a progression that that has a lot of correlation to to what it's like when we invite unhealthy things into our life. When you or I invite unhealthy things into our life, we tend to follow the same progression that David cautioned us about in that verse. Because what we do is we first walk toward them, and we stand near them, and then we sit in them. We walk toward it, we stand at it, and we sit in it. But blessed is the man who doesn't treat casually the sin or welcome its influence into his life. That's what David's getting at with that verse. He's saying, you know, essentially, blessed is the man who doesn't invite unhealthy things into his life or try to live in close proximity to unhealthy or unwise things. And then the other verse that I read to us from Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27, was actually written down by David's son Solomon. 
And Solomon used an analogy that has a similar meaning, but it was a different context. He used the analogy of attempting to carry fire near your chest. I don't know if you've ever done that. Um, you know, probably if you've ever gone camping, you've tried to build a fire. If you have a fireplace in your home, you've, you've tried to build a fire. And one of the things you learn at a very young age when it comes to fire is that you got to be careful with it. And if you carry fire close to your chest, what's likely to happen is you're either going to singe your clothing or the hair on your arms, or you're going to burn yourself in some serious way. Or even if you don't actively singe or burn yourself, you're at least going to smell like it. So the effects of having that fire close to your body are going to be felt in one respect or another. You can't really bring it close to yourself without being impacted by it, without being singed by it, or burned by it, or smelling like it. And the idea that's being communicated here is this idea of the influences in our life operating in that same fashion. We will be directly impacted by whatever we allow to get close to us. Whatever I allow to get close to me, whatever you allow to get close to you is going to directly impact us. We will be changed by what we allow to influence us. I've seen that in my life many times. I've seen that in the life of family members many times. I've seen that in the life of friends who are part of our church family many times. We will be influenced by whatever we welcome into our lives, whatever we allow to get close to us. So for that reason, and I hope this will help many of, you, many of us because I think we're all in the same boat here. So for that reason, I've actually decided to become much more intentional about what I give permission to influence me. Because there are things that I used to give permission to influence me without realizing I was giving permission to these things to influence me. And so in recent months, this is what I've been doing. This is at least part of how this has been working out in my life. So far, so good, but I know I have a long way to go. Maybe this will help some of you as well. But I started with filtering out my news sources. I decided I need, all right, so I'm getting some affirmation from some of you, so I guess we're in the same boat. I decided I really need to filter out my news sources because this is what I was noticing. I was noticing that some of the news sources that I was paying attention to, it seemed like their business model was, how can I manipulate John's emotions today? I was like, that must be their business model, right? How can I manipulate John's emotions today? and then get him addicted to checking in on how I'm going to manipulate his emotions tomorrow. And I'm going to make him feel up today and down tomorrow and confused the next day, fearful the next. And I'm like, what is this? This is driving me nuts. I'm like, and we're done. We're done. I'm just going to live in a cave somewhere and live in blissful ignorance and have no news, right? Well, that's obviously not practical. There are certain things that I actually want to know about. So it's like, how can I get useful information without being constantly manipulated emotionally? Isn't that the struggle? I want, I, I want the details of what matters. I don't want to be lied to, and I don't want to be manipulated. So over the past few months, I've become kind of protective about what I'm allowing to influence me, and I test the sources. It's like, do you manipulate? Do you lie? Is what you're saying true? And if you fail, you're off the list, mercilessly. You are off the list. But if you pass, we can be friends, right? We can be, I will take my news from you because you don't seem to be lying to me. But if you lie, if you break that trust, gone, right? So news sources, that's one thing. Another area of influence I'm trying to be really, really careful about, and I would encourage everybody, young people, those of you that are young, hear, hear me really clearly on these next two, but those of you that are older, hear me just as clearly because it applies to us all. My entertainment choices. 
I feel like we are so influenced by what we allow to entertain us. And so because I know I'm influenced by what entertains me, I want to be really, really careful about what I allow in close proximity because I'm going to get burned by it if it's fire. A few years ago, two years ago, my goal was to watch less TV that year than ever. And I announced it here to the church, and I succeeded at that. That year, I watched less TV than ever. Sometimes I think if it wasn't for football and a few other things, I probably, it's like football and blue bloods. That's kind of like, that's it for me, right? Football and blue bloods. I don't know if I'd watch anything else at this point. But if not for that, I'm not even certain I'd have a TV. And, uh, and I noticed that year that I read more books than ever, and it was really edifying and, and educational and helpful. And I thought, all right, I like that pattern. So I kept it for the next year, and it's, I'm starting another year here, so I'm going to try to keep that for this year. But I'm trying to be very careful about my, my entertainment influences as well. And there's a third one, and this one's the hardest for me of all of them, and that's social media. I, I actually like using social media. So a lot of what my weekly schedule looks like, you know, as I'm preparing messages and doing things like that, I'm either with a group or I'm completely by myself. And in both contexts, like even now as I'm preaching a sermon, preaching a sermon is not really a moment of conversation, right? You're, you know, it's a teaching moment and it has its purpose, but it, from a human level here, uh, we're not having a conversation right now. And then when I'm preparing a message... A lot of time that's done in solitude. And so when, when social media came up, I thought, this is wonderful because I felt like during the day, I could easily just check in with people for five minutes, and it actually felt like having coworkers and, and, you know, and not being in a spot of solitude. So it kind of hit a niche, and I tend to be a social person anyway, and so I, I liked it. But here's what I've realized. Social media has changed. <laughs> it's changed. It's, it, it, not everyone uses it for fun. I don't really want to attend drama all the time. I don't really want to listen to, to complaints and rants and insults and, and all. And I thought, boy, oh boy, like, I like social media, but I don't know how to filter this super well. And so I've, I've kind of, I worked on a system I, where I think it's working, where I'm, I'm using it in a particular way where I could still post and still check on certain things but not spend so much time being influenced by it. And that one, I think, is going to be the hardest for me because I like it so much. I really like it. And so I don't want it to influence me in an unhealthy way, so I'm trying to figure out some balance there. So far, so good. But the point being, one of the aims that I'm aiming for this coming year that I hope maybe would be something you would consider as well is the idea of filtering our influences, filtering what I let get close to me, filtering what I walk towards, stand at, and sit in. Because it, it impacts our lives. It impacts my life. Here's the fourth thing I feel like the Lord's encouraging me to aim for this year. Maybe this will be encouraging you, to you as well. The idea of investing in relationships. What would it look like to spend a year investing in relationships for Christ's glory? Let me read from two sections of Scripture for us. Ephesians 4 and 1 John 3. Ephesians 4 says this in verses 2 and 3. It says, "...with all humility and gentleness, with patience..." bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then in 1 John 3.16, it says this, This is how we have come to know love. He laid down His life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So when you look at these Scriptures together, you notice a couple things. The Scripture encourages us to reflect the heart of Christ in how we interact with one another. 
In Ephesians 4, you have the Apostle Paul explaining that believers are encouraged to display humility and gentleness and patience toward one another. And we're also called to bear with one another in a loving way while maintaining unity and peace through the power that the Holy Spirit gives us. And then in the first letter that the Apostle John wrote to the church, he also called us to display love to one another in a very specific way. He tells us that we're called to lay down our lives for one another with the same heart motivation that was demonstrated when Jesus laid down his life for us. So as Christ laid down his life for us, so too should we lay down our lives for one another. Now, in recent years, the Lord's been helping me to place greater value on the relationships that he's allowed me to have with the people that he's placed in my life. And so for that reason, one of the things that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tangibly show these individuals, the people that the Lord's placed in my family and friend group, just how much I value them. I'm trying to be very intentional in how I invest in my relationship with my wife and with my children, trying to carve out more time for extended family and for friends. I'm also working hard to establish relationships with new people. Um, how many of you did I meet just in the past 12 months or less? Just raise your hand real quick. So it's like half the room. In the last 12 months or less. I have to tell you, uh, this past year, I, I tried to be very intentional about that, and I want to do that this coming year. But it dawned on me as I was finishing out this past year, I thought, I've met more new people in this past year, even with all the disruption that was taking place, than I than I've met at any time since I was a freshman in college. remember meeting a lot of people my freshman year of college, but this past year, just trying to be intentional, it was, one of the way, it was like a coping strategy, I think, in some respects, uh, or, or like a healthy reaction to everything feeling like it was contained and shut down. I thought, you know what, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to try and establish as many new friendships as I possibly can in this coming year because I think that that's much healthier than, than actually retreating from any interaction with others. And it worked. It was very healthy and helpful. And I thought, you know what, Lord, I feel like you're showing me something. Maybe it should just be the pattern of my life, you know, to, to be more intentional about investing in relationships. And as those relationships grow, as you invest in relationships, as they grow, one of the things that we have the opportunity to do is to represent Jesus Christ to those that he places in our lives. I have to tell you, I receive so much joy through my relationship with Jesus. Utter joy through knowing him in a personal way. And one of the things that I want people to experience if, if we end up in a friendship, if we end up associating in any way, I want that joy that I have in Christ to be contagious. I want it to be something that other people have the opportunity to experience just by virtue of a friendship. Because many of the people in this world that I love deeply have not yet experienced the joy and peace that Christ has been offering them their entire life. They haven't experienced it yet. And so one of the things I'm hopeful is that as other people can see the joy that I genuinely have in Christ, as they can see His work at at work in my heart, maybe they'll also invite Him into their life. Maybe they'll also experience the joy and peace that he offers them through a relationship with him. Maybe they will finally experience what it's like to have a relationship with their creator, with their savior. That's something that I hope will be a byproduct, the most important byproduct of every relationship that I intentionally establish. So I've decided, Lord, I think, I think you want me to make this an aim for this coming year because it was such a blessing in the year that just passed. And there's one other thing that I want to share with you, and I hope it'll edify and encourage somebody. 
But as I think about what I want to aim for in this coming year, the last thing is the idea of being intentional about showing appreciation. So I appreciate each and every one of you gathered in this room. I appreciate those of you that I've had the privilege to meet that join us via our live stream. Um, But I want to be more intentional about showing that appreciation because I've discovered there's something that gets in the way of me doing that. And I'll explain what that is in just a second. But look at what it tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. It says something very interesting. It says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That's a very kind thing to say to a church. This was the church in the city of Thessalonica that the Apostle Paul was writing to. And he said to them, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So they were already doing this, but Paul encouraged them to continue doing that. Several months ago, I had the opportunity to interview a pretty well-known author for my podcast. His name is John Rulin. Any of you familiar with him? Um, John Rulin wrote the book Giftology, and it's a book that's been doing really well for the past few years. I think it's probably a useful book for just about anyone to read, but if you're in a position of leadership, a position of influence, I think it's a useful book to read because in it he shows practical ways that we can show appreciation to those that we live with or work with or serve with. And so, again, the book's called Giftology, the author John Rulin, definitely worth checking out. So in speaking with him, and I had the opportunity to just kind of hear some of the things that he was working on and thinking about and some of the reasons that he chose to write the book, but in speaking with him, I actually became convinced that I need to to really improve in showing appreciation toward others, making sure that other people know that they are loved, making sure that others know that they are appreciated. That's a biblical concept that all believers should adopt as a practice. It's something that you see the Apostle Paul emphasizing in 1 Thessalonians 5. He challenged the the church to encourage one another. He challenged the church to build one another up. There's not Some people, apart from their their church family, don't really have a lot of people in their day-to-day life that are being very intentional about encouraging them and building them up. And Paul recognized that, and he's saying, listen, church family, encourage one another. Build one another up. That's one of the things that, that we should be very intentional about. And so one of the, my, my personal aims for this coming year is to, to really focus on that. And I've noticed that it's an area that I tend to struggle with because it takes some extra thought. And you know what I've discovered? And part of the reason why I mentioned a few moments ago about this idea of removing some clutter from my life, I've realized that the more clutter you have in your life, the less time you have to focus on the people that the Lord's placed in your life. And it's like, oh, wait a second. I don't have the mental space or the time to focus on some of these things that that the Lord's inviting me to focus on because I haven't transitioned out of old obligations. It's like you have to give some of those things to somebody else so that you could focus on what the Lord's putting in front of your face right now. And so I think that if I'm actually going to succeed at this aim, and I hope I succeed at it, but if I'm going to succeed at it, I actually need to be very intentional about that other, that other aim as well, removing unnecessary or unhealthy clutter. Have you ever read the book, The Five Love Languages? I hope some of these authors that I'm endorsing today give me like a cut of their royalties someday. Um, and if they don't, shame on them. Um, but it's another, it's another good book, The Five Love Languages. It's by an author named Gary Chapman. Are you familiar with the concept? Revolutionized 
um, my, my relationship with my wife when we were dating prior to us getting married. I, I understood, I, that book came out, I learned the concepts of the book, and I thought, wow, that was helpful. He basically says there are five primary ways that people tend to give and receive love. And you probably have a primary one and maybe even a secondary one. But there are five primary ways that the people tend to give and receive love. It's either through words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, um, physical touch, or gifts. Now, I tend to be a words of affirmation and acts of service person. I don't tend to be a gifts person as much. So my wife learned that about me. And then I learned that she's her quality time is her, her number one. And so when I learned that about her, I thought, okay, quality time. I've got I to focus on quality time because that's how she understands that I'm giving love, and that's how she receives love. And as I'm thinking about being intentional about showing appreciation, one of the things that I've been trying to think about is, all right, how do I notice how people in my life tend to give and receive love? Are they a gifts person? If they're a gifts person, I can show appreciation maybe with a gift. If they're a quality time person, maybe I should carve out time for that person. I actually brought that up to that first author that I mentioned, John Rulin. I, said, I asked him, have you ever read the book, The Five Love Languages? And does that fit with what your concept is in this book? And he said, yeah, I've been trying to co-write something with that author for years because our concepts are so similar. Again, I need a cut from their royalties because these endorsements are getting thick. But the point being, I really want to be intentional about showing appreciation to other people. So let me say this as we finish up this morning. Those are my aims, all right? And I'm saying them out loud for a couple of reasons. One, I, want to, I wanted to write them down, and I wanted to acknowledge them before you as our church family, because I know that there are people in our church family who, are, who will hold me accountable to things that I say from this pulpit. And so I'm saying them out loud and giving you permission to hold me accountable to these things because these are things that the Lord's placing on my heart that I really, want to, I really want to succeed at focusing on these this coming year. Now, maybe your list has some of the same things that are on my list, or maybe your list has some things on it that are a little bit different. But the point being, I just kind of want to finish up by asking the question, what are you aiming for in this coming year? What are you aiming for? What has what the Lord impressed upon your heart that he wants you to be focused on during the coming years? Is there something on the list that I just shared that might be practical for you as well? Or are there some other things? What has Christ been impressing upon your heart? How can you give people a greater glimpse of Jesus Christ at work in your life in this coming year? These are things worth wrestling with. So here's my hope. My hope is that this coming year will truly be a year of great progress in your relationship with Jesus Christ, and that the love and the joy and the peace that he's placed in your heart and in your life is going to genuinely overflow into the lives of those who have the privilege to know you and interact with you, because the Lord's doing a miraculous work in your life that maybe you don't recognize, and maybe it doesn't seem quite as obvious to you. But if you know Jesus Christ, he's doing a work in your life that will have an impact not only on you, but on those that have the privilege to interact with you. And as you're intentional about those interactions, what you're ultimately going to have the opportunity to do is not so much give people an opportunity to to just know you better, but they're going to have an opportunity to see what Christ is doing in your life. And as they're in close proximity with you, they're going to have the privilege to get to know him better as well as he does his work through your life, and he uses you and me as a living testimony to his mercy and goodness and grace. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the things that you reveal to us in your word. 
Lord, it's just so edifying to be able to look at things. And really, today, we just looked at a sample. We were kind of in a variety of places today, looking at a sample of things that that you bring to our attention, things that you've certainly been bringing to my attention lately. And, and maybe some of these things are, are helpful to those gathered here, or those joining us via our live stream, or those that will access the recording at a later time. Lord, we just want to be intentional about our walk with you. We want to aim for what matters most. We want to be all about your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, we're so grateful for your goodness. We're so grateful, even as the Apostle John reminded us in 1 John chapter 3, of the fact that you demonstrated your love for us in giving your life for us. We have the privilege to show love to one another in that same exact way. So we pray that we would do so. Lord, thank you again for giving us a fresh start. Thank you for a new year. We're grateful for the lessons that we learned over the course of this past year. But we're also grateful for a new year that gives us an opportunity to take stock of our lives and think about some of the things that maybe we need to purge while at the same time think about some of the things that we need to be more intentional about, things that we need to welcome in. And so, Lord, we pray that as we do so, that we would gain a greater glimpse of your heart and that those that we have the opportunity to spend life with and interact with will also gain a greater glimpse of your heart through us. So, Lord, thank you for these things, and thank you for this encouragement from your word today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.